coming up on Philosophy Talk. I think there should be a wise woman in there. The life and thought of Im Yunjidan. The first Confucian philosopher to argue for women's equality. Im claimed that women can be sages. Is that a form of feminism? However, you know, it doesn't hurt to talk to him if you have any sage words of feminine advice. Confucius and other ancient Confucius agreed that everyone can become a sage, but in fact, women were excluded. Our guest is Hua Youngwan, editor of Korean Women Philosophers and the Ideal of a Female Sage. So actually, the 18th century Immun Zidang, as a woman, voiced and restated that everyone can become a sage. She's a real wise woman with so much love to give. She gives so much cause she stays in touch with what her truest nature is. The life and thought of Im Yunjidan. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Philosophy Talk. Learn more about the program by getting our monthly newsletter. Just text the word philosophy to 22828. That's 22828. And get access to our library of more than 500 episodes by becoming a subscriber at our website, philosophytalk.org. Now, on with the show. How do you argue for spiritual equality in a patriarchal society? What does it mean to be a sage? What really matters? The things you do or the way you do them? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, it's the next episode in our Wise Women series, generously supported by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. We're talking about the life and thought of Im Yunjidang. Im Yunjidang was an 18th century philosopher from Korea and considered the first woman philosopher in the Confucian tradition. She was an early proponent of egalitarianism. Yeah, she thought all human beings have the same nature, that men and women aren't really that different from each other at a deep level. So anybody can achieve spiritual perfection if they just work hard enough. Yeah, and that was a pretty radical idea at the time. I mean, very few women were even taught to read. If they got married, they weren't allowed to leave the home during the day. They couldn't inherit property. Things were pretty unequal back then. Yeah, but Im Yunjidong's brother taught her to read, and she became an expert on classical Confucian texts. She really admired the sages that she was reading about. She even wanted to be one herself. Right, and she made this brilliant move. Right? Rather than saying, oh, we need to chalk out all those old writings produced by men, she realized she could actually draw on them to make her point that those earlier thinkers gave her everything she needed to show women can become sages too. Right. So Mencia said we're all born with the ingredients that we need to become really good people, and then we just have to build on them in the right way. The sages Yao and Shun, they were pretty much universally admired, but Mencia said everyone can become a Yao or a Shun. Everyone, Ray? What about thieves and bandits? Thieves and bandits, they devote their entire lives to like stealing other people's stuff. They practice being bad every single day. Would Im Yunjidang really say they're on their way to being sages? Okay, they're not currently on their way, but they could be if they tried. They have the same fundamental nature as everyone else. They just committed themselves to the wrong path. So if they just stopped filching stuff, they'd be paragons of virtue? That would be a start, but virtue isn't just a matter of how you act. You gotta reform yourself from within. You've gotta take those sprouts of virtue in your heart and you've got to help them flourish. That can be the work of a lifetime. 
But surely it has to be partly a matter of the actions you take. It can't just be about purity of heart. There are some things you can't do, like stealing, for example. Well, that's true, but it's not enough to just do the right things. You have to do them for the right reasons. Oh, right, like that guy Ongyo. Ongyo got told, you got to go over there to that remote area as an envoy. Being a good Confucian, he sets off at a sprint. But his mother is heartbroken, and she, and she grabs his coat to try to stop him. He just rips that coat and dashes off. Many Confucians thought, that's the right way to behave. What an admirable guy. But Im Yungji Dan disagreed. Right. She agreed that going on the mission was going to be the right call, but he didn't do it in the right way. He should have explained to his mother why it was his duty, and he should have reassured her that he'd be careful. Could he really not spend five minutes to set his poor mother's mind at ease? To be fair to Ong he was in a slightly sticky situation, right? I mean, he had a duty to his mother, filial piety, but he also had a duty to his superior officer, loyalty. Yeah, but Im Yun-ji-dong thinks that a real sage would know how to balance those obligations and give each of them its due. If you take time to think about what's important, then you can really grow those little sprouts of virtue in your heart. And then you'll end up in a position to do the right thing and in the right way. And that's what it takes to become a sage. You can totally see why Im Yung Ji Dang invited everybody to try to be a sage. Why shouldn't women be able to be virtuous as well as men? And why wouldn't we want them to? We're going to hear more about all of this from Hua Young Wang, a philosopher who's edited some of the writings of Im Yung Ji Dang. She'll be joining us all the way from China. But first, how do people in Korea today think about Im Yun Jidang? We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out. She files this report. Me too! Me too! In 2018, the Me Too movement arrived in South Korea. Then came the backlash. In 2022, women there took to the streets ahead of a presidential election some called an election of misogyny. Candidates pledged to change or abolish the Ministry for Gender Equality. The term FEMI became an accusation. Conservative Yoon Suk-yeol weaponized sexist backlash against feminism, winning the race by just over 263,000 votes. The new president has suggested feminism is to blame for falling birth rates. South Korea already has the world's lowest fertility rate and one of the lowest rates of labor force participation for women. Korean culture has been strongly a Confucian and patriarchal society traditionally. Hesu Kim is a philosophy professor at Iwa Women's University in South Korea, one of the largest women's universities in the world. She wanted to approach this traditional belief a little differently, so she went searching for female intellectuals. Because I had to teach, uh, the, the students I taught were all women. One philosopher and writer, Im Yoon Ji Dang, stood out. Many women intellectuals devoted themselves to poems or paintings, but Im was interested in Confucian texts. Despite the overwhelming patriarchal beliefs of her time, Im says women can become sages. She was actually the first Confucian woman philosopher in our history, I think. Im Yun Jidang was born in 1721. Her father died when she was young, and the family had to move to a mountain village. 
Her brother was a famous Confucian scholar and taught her. She wrote poems and biographies of historical figures. She married young and had a child, but her husband and child both died. So she took care of her in-laws and even adopted her nephew. But he also died earlier than the mother. So it's it's a kind of a unfortunate and unhappy situation she lived. So she cared for a lot of family members in her life in some pretty miserable conditions. Women were meant to occupy the within. Men occupied the outside. Women were not free to go outside of the house, and they should stay within their own spaces. In her writing, Im Yuji Deng carved a way within those confines to express women's desire to be in the public world. She writes, Though I am woman, the nature I originally received was no different from that of a man. Though I am unable to study what Yan Yin studied, I'm completely earnest in sharing his aspiration to become a sage. Im Yunji Deng represents women's efforts to express themselves, women's desire to be with the world, the the public world. And that might seem kind of out there for the time, but she stayed within the bounds of Confucian society, where all people and things are endowed with the great ultimate. They can be a perfect man, perfect woman, perfect human being, by devoting themselves to self-cultivation. Immunji Dang died in 1793, but her idea that women can be equal to men in matters of morality is still relevant and debated today. The step-by-step process of becoming a sage is no small feat. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly Tim McDeed. No small feat is right, Holly. Thanks for that great report. I'm Josh Landy. With me is my Stanford colleague, Ray Briggs. And today we're thinking about Im Yunjidang. We're joined now by Hua Young Wang. She's professor of philosophy at Duke Kunshan University and editor of Korean Women Philosophers and the Ideal of a Female Sage, The Essential Writings of Im Yunjidang and Kong Jong-il-dong. Hua Young, welcome to Philosophy Talk. Hello, Josh and Ray. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's fantastic to have you here. Now, you're an expert on Confucian women philosophers like Im Yunjidang, but what first drew you to her work? I'm uh, from South Korea, which is arguably the most Confucian uh, modern society. And when I uh, entered on the, uh, college and I started to study Confucian philosophy and my university was the, actually the place that uh, Confucianism and feminist activities had clashed while I was on the campus. So since then, I began to pursue the question about the compatibility between Confucianism and feminism. So Huayang, this is a conflict that goes back a ways, and 18th century Korea wasn't especially receptive to female thinkers. So how did Im Yunjidang manage to succeed in spite of that? That's a very interesting question and good question that uh, there are several reasons, but there was a uh, accumulated the, the achievement by all women in Confucian tradition. And also, she was also benefited from the education from the neo-Confucian ideals and some historical uh, backgrounds too. So she was able to get some education thanks to her mm-hmm. brother, I take it. And what, so what was she able to read? 
uh, she was able to read many uh, books for women, but also she read other Confucian uh, canons, which are uh, dominantly read by male scholars. So the Book of History and also all the Confucian classics too. So she's yeah. reading Confucius, she's reading Mencius. Is she also reading the Neo-Confucians? Yes, the Neo-Confucianism was the, the orthodox idea of the time, and she was one of the Neo-Confucians. So I understand that the Neo-Confucians had this debate about uh, the four beginnings and the seven feelings. Can you tell us what that was all about? Ooh, they can be very complex <laughs> philosophical <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah, that is one of four seven debates. It's it's called and one of the well most well known the Korean debate Confucian debate. And so it actually asked what is what are the base basis of the human emotions and those emotions moral uh, status. So four sprout that may, was mentioned in the mentions, and these four emotions to show the humans in, uh, inherent the good goodness while the seven feelings are just neutral uh, emotions that you know you know happy and angry and then what are the moral status of these seven emotions so there was a huge and long debate about this so the idea is that the four sprouts are are mm -hmm. like the beginnings of virtue and they're only good but then if i'm happy or angry that might be good or bad depending on whether it's appropriate or inappropriate to the situation. So yeah, that is puzzling. Uh, why can I have bad emotions if my beginnings are all good? <laughs> well, that's a great question. So that's actually the, exactly the debate that uh, 16 in the later century, the Korean Neo-Confucians debated and there were two different schools, Twege and Yulgo. You know they have a different ideas, but about just the one thing, the later part, where uh, you were confused that that's, for example, Yulgo would say, well, no if emo emotions can be bad. What makes it bad is the situations. So, for example, if you uh, you don't get angry when someone does something bad, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's the bad thing, right? So mm -hmm. the emotion itself not necessarily the bad thing, bad or good. What makes them is the directions and the situations and many others. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. Today we're thinking about Im Yunjidang with Huayong Wang from Duke Kunshun University. Can women be Confucian sages? What kind of effort would they need to put in? Who do you look to for wisdom? Women, wisdom, and willpower. Along with your comments and questions, when Philosophy Talk continues. If you become a Confucian sage, are you going to get the right results? I'm Josh Landy, and this is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Accept your intelligence. I'm Ray Briggs, and we're thinking about Im Yunjidang with Hua Young Wang, editor of Korean Women Philosophers and the Ideal of a Female Sage. It's the latest episode in our Wise Women series, which is supported by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. You can find all the episodes in the series at philosophytalk.org slash wisewomen. Got questions about the first Confucian feminist? Email us at comments at philosophytalk.org or comment on our website, 
And while you're there, you can also become a subscriber and question everything in our library of nearly 600 episodes. So Hua Young, Im Yun Dang argued that Confucian sages don't have to be men. Women can be sages too. So what is a sage? Simply speaking, in Confucianism, sage is the ultimate ideal of human moral perfection. So every Confucian will aim to become a sage. That's their ultimate goal. And so this was a revolutionary idea that women could become sages. Why didn't people notice that this was a possibility before Im Yunji Dang? Actually, there was a statement in Confucian canons that everyone can become a sage. But in reality, that we we know in most patriarchal societies, it was actually only in, in on the face value. So, uh, even though Confucius and, and other ancient Confucians they also agreed that everyone can become a sage, but in fact, women and others were excluded. So actually, the 18th century Immun Zidang, she as a woman, voiced and restated that everyone can become a sage. It's so interesting, right? It's such a brilliant move that she's making. She's mm-hmm. just she's basically saying to people, look, these very texts that you venerate are agreeing with me, right? If you just saw what's actually in them, you'd understand, well, look, it's saying everyone can do it. And, and, and she's pointing to a particular part of the theory, if I'm not mistaken, right? About the, the, the part having to do with this universal pattern um, can you say? Can you tell us a little bit about the difference um, in Neo-Confucianism, or this combination that each of us has, of on the one hand a universal pattern that's that's uh, shared among all humanity, and on the other hand, uh, qi, which is uh, differentiated person to person? Yes, uh, that's very in, uh, important part to understand the later development of Confucianism, Confucianism which is called as Neo-Confucianism. Uh, what Neo-Confucianism did was they developed more like a metaphysics. So they uh, developed the idea about the, the universal pattern and physical chi materials like. So to, in order to explain what other uh, universally applied to every human beings, but why we have we are differentiated as individual, right? Every, every human being has, you know, we occupy one individual space, body, and everything. So that is uh, the explained as a chi, but underlying or the patterns is called as universal pattern. So is it just humans who have the universal pattern or is it like animals or is it everything? Everything, everything. So it starts from the Tai Chi, if you have heard like a nothingness and then becomes yin yang, then five consonants and then all creatures, myriad of creatures. Does that mean that only humans can be sages or, or sort of why why can only humans be sages if that's true? I think Ray wants uh, Blossom, Ray's dog, to become a sage. I do. <laughs> that is actually uh, one of the uh, hot popping nowadays because people also discuss. Uh, also, there was a debate in uh, Korean Neo-Confucianism that uh, is natures of human beings and non-humans are same or not. So I think that's a very good question. But uh, Orthodox Neo-Confucian views uh, of Chongju school, they would say that uh, humans have the all everything perfectly. 
hmm. but other creatures miss some part. Let, let me say just simply that's like that. Okay, but if we stay within human beings, on the one end, we've got Im Yunjidang saying, basically, when it comes down to the really fundamental thing, to the most important thing, there's no real difference between men and women. She, she puts it, the nature I originally received contained no distinction between male and female. On the other yes. hand, mm. she says this weird thing, or at least it seems weird in the context of that. She says, the way of a man is being strong, the way of a woman is being submissive. So from a 21st century standpoint, that seems like a tension, right? It seems like if you thought that there was no fundamental difference between men and women, you wouldn't also think that each of them has a different kind of life that they should lead. How do we how do we resolve that? Uh, I think we should approach a, you know in the in a reverse way that the time period she lived was what it was most most dominant ideas that gendered for many differences, right? The classes and also gendered differences. So I think actually we have uh, that was very different from what we think that we actually in the modern uh, contemporary people we think we begin from that everyone is the unit same equal and then we discuss the, the differences but i think that was the different in immune stang's case so she was living in a very patriarchal society and everyone was uh blindly following the traditional ways of lives as a woman. So I think that's the what makes her more uh, revolutionary at that time. I, I see the point about pushing back against received ideas and that, how that can be really hard to do, especially if you don't have a lot of other models. There's also kind of a, a puzzle for me about, so everybody is the same in some ways and different in other ways. And like the fact that we all have the same pattern but different chi suggests that. How do you figure out which ways are, are the, the ones where we have commonalities and, and which ways are the ones where we have differences? Uh, probably I can explain a little bit about the Neo-Confucian theory. So earlier I mentioned that ancient Confucians, they argued that everyone can become a sage, right? What Neo-Confucians did later, they further developed the idea and argued that anyone can has the ability to become a sage, then what we must develop is the commitment to use our ability. So actually, Immune Zidang received these new uh, ideas that, okay, there's, uh, I didn't say much about that. These uh, ideas were explained by the universal pattern, which uh, provides the oneness for everyone, every creature. Then the the chi chi the differentiating ideas. That makes sense, right? Um, uh, but the thing that confuses me a little bit is um, the chronology, because if I understand correctly, the rise of neo Confucianism in Korea coincided with a decline in the rights of women, right? That they they actually had it a little better um, prior to that, and then. You know the the Joseon era, which was roughly fifteenth to nineteenth centuries. Um, all of a sudden, they can't receive an education for the most part. They can't leave the home if they're married, and so on. So, wh why why did this neo Confucianism, which really, as as Im Yunjinang points out, seems to license egalitarianism? Why did it coincide with a, a really patriarchal society? Uh, 
that's a really great point too. So, well, they have the egalitarian ideas, but in practice, what are the recommended the practices in Neo-Confucianism was basically quite gender, it was gendered. So, yes, so the Joseon dynasty was very, uh, in terms of women's rights, uh, comparing to the previous dynasty, actually uh, declined. But the, the, by the time the immune down was lived, the 18th century, that already more than three centuries passed. And then Neo-Confucian ideas and their uh, Neo-Confucian role, gendered role, and patriarchal practices became dominant in the society. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're thinking about the 18th century Korean philosopher Im Yeonji-dang with Hwa Young-wang from Duke Kanshan University. So Hwa Young, I want to ask about what it takes concretely to become this paragon of virtue that is a sage. How, how would you do it if you wanted to? That's um, the study, intellectual pursuit, and then also in the practices. So, uh, in the example with uh, with the example of the immune Zidang, that's what makes actually uh, the revolutionary figure. That yes, uh, she had to do the double duty like many of us, many women like us, not uh, at this point. So she had to fulfill the gendered roles, which was perceived as her ideal. Uh, the gendered roles in practice, everyday life. That shows you that you are doing, you are living your life fully. Then she says, oh, although I'm a woman, I share the commitment to become a sage. So I, in distinction, I, I, there is no distinction in this uh, commit, uh, pursuit towards uh, the, to become a sage. So that, yeah, I, I mean, that's a, a powerful thought and uh, clearly it clearly represented a big shift away from the way in which uh, society would be operating up until her time. And it raises an interesting question for me about uh, revolution versus evolution, because she's she's not saying, okay, let's throw out this entire tradition. This entire tradition has been a dead end. Look where it's led us. We have to start afresh. Let's embrace uh, Taoism, or let's let's embrace something completely new, or something like that. Instead, she's saying, let's just let's re-understand our own tradition in a new and better way. And that's a raises an interesting question for me. I'd, I'd be love to hear from you what you think. Is is that a more effective strategy for change, because it's only asking people to move a little bit, or is it a less effective strategy for change because you're leaving a lot of things in place? I think that uh, she, because she was the first women philosopher who, uh, she was the pioneer. So I think there was some limit probably from the, our perspective now. Uh, but what she, that was the way actually she was living in the very predominant linear Confucian ideals. Then she also wanted to become and leave to want to become a sage. Then she realized, oh wait, actually, there is gendered differences. That does not, it does not make sense. So she, that was the approach she was taking. So I think maybe uh, what you, Josh, what you mentioned is probably the later part, uh, possibly the later part of the development, but not, it, it was too early for Imun Jidang as the first woman. 
So Im Yunji Dang uh, inspired another philosopher, uh, mm -hmm. Gang Zhang Yildang. Can you say yes. more about her? Yes, so Im Yunjidang's case, uh, she was successful, and then she, what also makes her very distinguishing as a women philosopher is she decided for the first time that I will record what I thought. And she wrote in the standard genres, which predom uh, actually prohibited to women. Then she made the decision, I will write, record mine, and then leave it behind on me. So before her, there were no women did it because it was not womanly things. So now there were corpus of image Dang's writings. Then that was delivered, you know, it was inherited later by the later generation. And people like, you know, second generation like Gang Zheng Yildang, she could get Im's writings and could study and started to use her as a new moral paragon for women. And if I understand correctly, uh, Gang Zheng Yildang is thinking in part about the three ways, right? The theory that, or, or I should say more like the social norm that before marriage, a woman is supposed to follow her father. In marriage, she's supposed to follow her husband. In old age, she's supposed to follow her son. And Gang Zhong Yildang is saying, yeah, maybe we, maybe it doesn't have to be a relation of deference and subservience. Maybe there can be more mutuality. Is that about the right way of thinking of that? Yes, it's true. Yeah, and it's also partially uh, also the, based on the misunderstanding of Confucian the spousal relationship. There, even though there was a distinction between them this uh, relationship, but what Kang Zheng Yildang also said, the more core virtue of this between spouses is mutual respect. So in a sense, she was actually uh, emphasizing the traditional um, <laughs> spousal virtue too. Yeah, I, I, I like this idea that tradition has sort of multiple readings where some are yes. really oppressive and some are really liberatory. How do you get to the point of finding that liberation in a tradition that sort of tells women to stay at home and follow their husbands on one reading or like tells you a bunch of examples of men sages and then no examples of women sages? How do people get to that point? That's a good question, but also a tough question because after the Kang Zheng Yitang's time, so we discussed the Yim and Gang, and then now the 19th century, that because of the history of Korea, that we kind of, the line, lineage of women uh, near Confucians kind of disconnected. So it, we couldn't, there was no much more the development. So uh, as a now 21st century neo Confucian, uh, Confucian philosopher and feminist, I think that is the way, uh, one of the important project to find and to theorize how I can uh, liberate image issues while preserving the core, good, essential Confucian ideals. I really like Ray's thought also about um, exemplars, right? Examples of great women from history. And I wonder if yes. that's maybe part of what Im uh, uh, Yeonji is doing in referring to uh, Cho and Hong. It's a story about a, uh, a widow and a daughter who seek revenge uh, for the murder of their um, you know, late husband and, and father. Um, it, it, do you think that's kind of one of the moves that Im Yunjidang is making is to go through the tradition and to look for these 
striking female characters who, who behaved virtuously uh, under the Confucian understanding. Absolutely. I uh, thank you for bringing that point. Yes, I think that is what our image Dang did. So she provides uh, new examples. The, the one is what you mentioned, the revenge by the wife and daughter. But also another example is the, the Ongyo's, Ongyo's mother's case. So if you read the Ongyo's story more in details, then you probably if you are uh, familiar with the Western philosophy, probably draw some similar draw a similar example from Sartre's. So once uh, once Sartre uh, brought up a hypothetical theory, uh, scenario, uh, a young man drawn by you know, has a dilemma: uh, should I stay and then help my aged mother, or go and fight for against the Nazis? Right, but actually, um, what Ongyo's story, the Immunjidang, shows a very different line of argument, and then in the end, she also argues that oh, there was a way you could fulfill, satisfy the both from the start. But one another thing also, what was most uh, very striking for me was she provided mother's perspective, and which I've never seen in other Confucian writings. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. Today we're thinking about the life and thought of Im Yun-jidang with Hua Young Wang, editor of Korean Women Philosophers and the Ideal of a Female Sage. Why isn't Im Yun-jidang a household name? How did later Korean history affect her legacy? What can we learn by reading her today? Contemporary Korean Confucianism, plus commentary from Ian Scholes, the 62nd philosopher, when Philosophy Talk continues. Do women need to be smarter than men in order to be considered sages? I'm Josh Landy, and this is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ray Briggs. Our guest is Hua Young Wang from Duke Kunshan University, and we're thinking about 18th century Korean philosopher Im Yun-ji-dong as part of our series Wise Women, supported by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. So Hua Young, before the break, you were saying some really fascinating things about the Ongyo story, the story of the guy who obeys his commander so loyally that he rushes off in spite of his mother begging him to stay. You were making a connection to Sartre. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, actually, I wanted to uh, provide two ideas. That when uh, Im Yun-jidang uh, dealt with this story, she also differed from the traditional male perspective that was before they only uh, praised him, but she actually was more critical. Then now, uh, when we compare with the Sartre's story, I think that you can see the, some different approaches. In Sartre's story, my understanding is, very simply speaking, it's the, actually the matter of choice. Do I stay and or go and fight? And then the choice makes you, right? But in image Dang's case, uh, the story of Ongyo, she says, no, it's not true. We really need to see the, align, uh, the process of argument and uh, thinking. And she has a lot of nuance and subtlety. So maybe what was the true motivation of the, the men who dis, uh, chose making decisions? So sometimes the, your own motives can be unknown to even oneself. 
So she actually uh, asked a lot of you know small uh, questions, and uh, also one question she asked that uh, why Ongyo did not stay, and then explained just a little bit. If he explained the situations, the reason he must go, then maybe his mother could understood and then even let him go. Then. That is a very, you know, modest perspective we have never seen in the previous male, uh, the uh, Confucian's writings. Then, if he has done so, he could achieve both filial piety and loyalty from the very start. So that is very, uh, I think, that's the uh, what distinguishes Immun Zhang's writings. Yeah, so so one thing I noticed about Yun Jidang's treatment of this story in contrast to a lot of philosophers I encounter now mm-hmm. is that she's mm-hmm. not willing to take just two options as the only two options. So it's not like either you take care of your mother or you take care of your responsibilities uh, to, to your commanding officer. Uh, she's kind of creative about thinking what the other options might be. And I just think that's so cool. And it reminds me a little bit of the Abraham story. God tells Abraham to kill his own child, and he says, absolutely, right away, sir. And Immanuel Kant and Martin Buber both say, you know, maybe he wasn't passing the test. He was failing the test. He should have said, what are you talking about? And I feel like Im Yunjidang is kind of doing the same thing. She's saying, look, all of these commentators are saying what a great thing Ongyo did by dashing off uh, and, and, and you know leaving his poor mum crying. And, mm-hmm. and she's thinking more creatively about it. Which, which brings me to a question. With all these brilliant thoughts and brilliant readings of the tradition, why is it that Im Yun-Jidang isn't better known these days, uh, both uh, in Korea and in other parts of the world? That's a great question. Uh, one, because the reason is the history of modern Korea. So the Kang Jong Il Tang's time was like 19th century, and then Korea was uh, annexed by the Japan early 20th century. So during that time, very few people, male intellectuals, uh, they made a record of of this woman. And nowadays in Korean society, uh, these two women are better known as a literature in maybe in the literature or history, but. Many people, they don't find philosophical significance in these women's writings. So what uh, me and my co-translator, uh, Philip, Philip J. Ivano, wanted to do is we wanted to really bring out the philosophical implications. Hua Young, if you could pick one philosophical idea from Inyun Jidang mm-hmm. that you'd like to be better known, what would you pick as your one favorite? I would say she was the first woman in Korean Confucian tradition who explicitly declared women's moral equality. So she said that though I am a woman, the original nature I uh, I received, there is no distinction between male and females. So I think that's a very uh, significant, empowering uh, declaration by a woman. I agree. I mean, that that's uh, clearly, you know, the, the, the central brilliant move <laughs> that Im Yun Jidang does, arguing from within the tradition against the way in which tradition has been understood. I also think that her emphasis on 
the way in which things are done and not just what actions are performed is fantastic. And there's a third thing that leaps out to me, and I wanted to ask you about it. Mm-hmm. She has this, this statement, one cannot simply stick to a single inflexible rule. And one of the examples um, is, is how, how exactly should one take revenge? What, under what circumstances is re- revenge justified within the Confucian tradition? There's two different cases. There's the case of Cho and Hong we mentioned earlier, which she thinks is a virtuous case of revenge. The widow and the daughter, they're doing the right thing. But she also mentions Ye Yang, another person who sought revenge. And she says, no, that he wasn't doing it right. So she seems to be thinking very subtly about the moral realm, that, that you can't just have one single rule that applies to every relevant context. For example, here's, here's revenge, and there's this one rule about it. Rather, it seems like the situations make a difference. Context make it, makes a difference. Does that seem right to you? Yes, uh, overall, I think that's a right reading. So, of course, there are some important virtues in Confucian philosophy, too, uh, obviously. But uh, I th- still, you are right, I Josh, that there are definitely virtues that are important, like a re- or actions, like you take a revenge for someone. But what are the context? But also, what is your motive? Mm. And even the motive, sometimes uh, your true motive can be hidden unconsciously by yourself too, even to yourself. So what is your motives and what is your role and what is the virtues for these roles? So there are other aspects you need to consider. Right, exactly. So it's not, of course, it's not that there aren't any virtues. There are virtues, but there are virtues plus motivation, plus sensitivity to context, plus sorting out the many different competing claims on you, like from, you know, your loyalty versus your filial piety. So she's really thinking in a very sophisticated way. And the other thing she's doing, you know, I'm a literature guy, so I'm particularly intrigued by the fact that she's not just writing treatises. She's writing dialogues. She's writing poetry. She's writing inscription. Do you have any thoughts about what what the kind of value for her uh, is of these other genres, like the fact that there are dialogues, the fact that sometimes she'll use metaphors, these kind of really striking metaphors of the mirror or the sword. What What's that sort of literary aspect of her writing doing? Thanks so much for asking that question. I wanted to also mention that's really important about Immune Style. One thing is she, the fact that she wrote in the traditionally standard for a Confucian philosophical genres, like dispositions. So that actually made a show and dispel, demonstrate her ability as a scholar and philosopher. But at the same time, uh, she also lived other literary works. And those are, honestly speaking, also it is a, many uh, Confucian philosophers, it's included in their collected writings too. So in a sense, it is also standard practice within Confucian tradition. But at the same time, we now we can see, we can say that uh, these are uh, like poetry, right? Our, our inscriptions, those are the genres were allowed for women. And now as a feminist philosopher, we can recover, rediscover the, the values within this non-traditional philosophical genres written by women. So Huayang, I know there's a little bit of a debate about whether to call Im Yun a Korean feminist. 
um, or whether that kind of imposes like a current idea of what feminism is into a cultural context where it doesn't quite fit. And to me, the idea that women have value seems like the, the fundamental idea of feminism. What do you think? I agree with you, Ray. <laughs> so many, uh, even now, you know, many feminists, especially, you know, my, my feminists ask me that, oh, did she argue for the, um, the there is was there any social movement? <laughs> did she argue for any women's rights? Uh, I think that's very uh, only one standard when we discuss about the feminism, but. In this case, that obviously Imun Jidang argued, you know, she shows the consciousness as a woman in the patriarchal society. And I think at least we can say that is a kind of feminist uh, consciousness was arising. Hawaiian, thanks so much for joining us today, all the way from China. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Our guest has been Huayang Wang, professor of philosophy at Duke Kunshan University and editor of Korean Women Philosophers and the Ideal of a Female Sage, the Essential Writings of Im Yunjidang and Gang Jong-il-dang. So, Ray, what are you thinking now? I've just really enjoyed getting to like sit with the ideas of Im Yunjidang for an hour and think about all these like thoughtful takes on particular stories that she has. It's wonderful. Yeah, and, and all these different genres. It's it, She's an extraordinary figure. I mean, not just for her time, but even for now. We'll put links to everything we've mentioned today on our website, philosophytalk.org, where you can also become a subscriber and dive into our library of nearly 600 episodes. And be sure to check out all the episodes in our Wise Women series at philosophytalk.org slash wisewomen. Now, faster than a speeding sage, it's Ian Scholes, the 62nd philosopher. Ian Scholes, centuries ago, Korea got a brand new dynasty, replacing the previous dynasty's Buddhism with Confucianism, imported from China, an older and vaster empire. More of a guide for proper behavior than a proper religion, Confucianism had worked just fine for millions by the simple expedient of having adherent scholars everywhere, imposing agreed-upon cultural imperatives over vast distances, all subject to thoughtful and gradual change by these same scholars who also managed the education system. One might almost call it indoctrination, were it not subject to constant interrogation, as we say today, within the confines of textual teachings and rituals insisting on individual paths to sagehood. The whole shebangs under the eye of the emperor and assorted governors. Confucian provided the principles and personnel for a massive bureaucracy for centuries, not to put too fine a point on it. Korea adapted to become Neo-Confucianism, which is a bit more strict in its social norms. Over the next few hundreds of years, Korea was invaded a lot by China and by Japan, leaving the country a bit insular, a bit hermit-like. The basics remain that the scholarly officials cast, or Yang Ben, sent their male offspring to test in all the skills and knowledge the nation and Confucianism possessed, including calligraphy, poetry, classical texts, Confucian rites. Commoners could apply for these royal exams, but family background was foregrounded, as we say, so young men had privilege. But if they flunked the exam or messed up their employment, they and their entire clan could get kicked off the social scale and never rise up to sagehood. Im Yunjidong was born into this 18th century Korean young man milieu, her father being a scholar official. However, women are not only not allowed to take the exam, they were not even taught to read. Young Ben women are completely segregated from the outside world, and even peasant houses had separate rooms for the sexes. But Yung Zhidang, a smart girl, was secretly taught to read by her brother using Confucian classics like the Analects. Also a book called Biographies of Exemplary Women, a Chinese anthology from 18 BCE, including many women who committed suicide when their husbands died rather than remarry. Kind of like a book of martyrs, which, though Christian, was kind of Confucian-y in spirit, martyrs being saints for the most part. Who are the bureaucrats of heaven, interceding when you pray to Jesus? You have to go through channels, children. Jesus is a busy man. 
Im Yun Ji Dong learned the three obediences for women, of course, to father, husband, then sons, and followed them. She later wrote about the four beginnings and the seven emotions. Time here does not permit further explication. She surely must have noted the four professions available to the women of Korea, which were palace women, shamans, physicians, and courtesans called Kisang. These were legal entertainers made of offspring of slaves or of disgraced young man, rather like geishas, I suppose, trained from a young age to serve upper-class men with poetry song, nursing needlework, and sex, not to put too fine a point on it. I assume that youth and beauty were state-sanctioned factors because they generally were mustered out of service in their early 20s, after which many of them became tavern keepers. Despite their low class, they were generally respected for their skill sets, and perhaps because of their low class, apparently could share public spaces with men. Their art and writing were often admired, though not preserved. In this world, it is somewhat ironic that M. Yung Jidang's life as a writer and thinker came about because her father, husband, and son had all died, leaving her in middle age broke with no man to obey. Her Confucian knowledge database was extensive, and she mused about becoming a sage herself. A woman sage? That's crazy. But she did not denounce or challenge the tenets of Confucianism in her philosophizing, which says that our natures, moral and physical, are innate. But to become a sage, one must unleash one's inner nature, so to speak, rising above the appetites and desires of the physical. So one's gender, in the end, doesn't matter. Women can be sages, QED, elegantly argued. There was no place for a woman to publish in those times, so Yong Jidang's musings were confined to her own eyes and what remained of her family. Recognizing her genius, however, her family did save all her writing, which would eventually make her a feminist icon and the first Confucian feminist. The notions she discussed in a pretty lively prose style proved that she was already pretty nervy relatively, considering the times, and in repressive times is the kind of topic that goes over big in coffee houses or in saloons over beers. She must have been strapped for money, since becoming a sage probably wasn't going to work out in her lifetime, I wonder if she considered picking up money slinging flagons with the former courtesans down at the alehouse. Must be tons of thirsty fallen young men out there who washed out of the space program, so to speak, but knew a lot and loved to talk. And to a woman, I mean, what an exotic treat. Plus, the tavern keepers were among the most educated people in Korea. Seems like it would have been a fun job, fun people. Any men who came around would probably want no more from an obedient woman than a cold one now and then. Who knows? Might have been a different Korea today. I gotta go. Philosophy Talk is a presentation of KALW San Francisco Bay Area and the trustees of Leland Stanford Junior University. Copyright 2024. Our executive producer is Ben Trefney. The senior producer is Devin Strolovich. Laura McGuire is our director of research. Thanks also to Pedro Jimenez, Merle Kessler, and Angela Johnston. Support for Philosophy Talk comes from various groups at Stanford University and from subscribers to our online community of thinkers. And from the members of KLW Local Public Radio San Francisco, where our program originates. Support for this episode and all the episodes in our Wise Women series comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. The views expressed or misexpressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of Stanford University or of our other funders. Not even when they're true and reasonable. That conversation continues on our website, philosophytalk.org, where you can become a subscriber and question everything in our library of nearly 600 episodes. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking. Thank you for thinking.